pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. tell you a little bit about the 24th chapter. The Lord himself taught us prophetically about the end times in the 24th chapter of Matthew. He told us mainly to watch for his return and always be ready, alert, and prepared because we know not the day or hour in which he will return. For the Christian, he's coming back to take his church to heaven in what we call the rapture. And for the Jew, when he returns at the end of the tribulation period to set up his kingdom here on earth, but either way, he expects us to be ready. Jew or Gentile, or Jew or Christian, it doesn't make any difference. We're to be ready. He cautioned us to be faithful, wise, and dependable uh, servants who rule his household well. Like I said earlier this morning, this has all been entrusted to us. We don't own anything. This is his house. This is his place. This is his earth and everything in it and upon it belongs to him. And so whatever we have is because he's allowed us to be stewards of it. And he wants us to be faithful, wise, and dependable stewards and dependable servants. Uh, so and when he does come, he can bless us. But if you're not faithful, wise, and dependable, and we're not looking for his return, we're not alert, we're not ready, we're not prepared, then we'll be separated from him and we'll be appointed our portion with the hypocrites that we criticize. But anyway, he begins chapter 25 with the parable of the ten virgins. And most people don't realize this, but he's still talking about the end times just like he was in Matthew chapter 24. You know, the original uh, manuscripts don't have chapter and verse. That was put there for our convenience so that we could find our way around the Bible and go back to things that we read and memorize things according to chapter and verse. But uh, And I don't know why they divide things or stop one and start another the way they do or what they consider to be, you know, verse 22 and then stop and go to verse 20. I don't know how they figure all that stuff out. But... Here in this parable, it's a continuation of him talking on the end times, like in chapter 24. And the reason I say that is it, it starts out with, then, then will the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. And then means it's a continuation of what he was saying previous to that in the 24th chapter. So then I'm still talking about end times. He said, then the kingdom of heaven will be likened unto Ten virgins. So Jesus spoke in parables to hide the meaning from those that are not interested, the self-righteous, and the religious. And if you're any of those things, you will never understand one of Jesus' parables. So if if you got a religious spirit or you're not, you don't show any interest, he's not going to reveal that to you. And so he speaks in parables so that. Those that are interested, those that truly want to know the meaning, those that love him will seek his face and say, Lord, what does this mean? How does this apply to me? What do you mean by it, it will be likened unto ten virgins? And when he sees you're inter interested, when you, he sees you're sincere, then he'll begin to release revelation to you. But if you just read over it, skim over it, and don't show any interest in it, just keep on going because he's not showing you anything. So uh, he will, however, make the mystery of the kingdom known to those that truly value him and esteem his words highly. Do you value him this morning and do you esteem his words highly? Because that's what it's going to take to get through this parable and have some understanding when you come out on the other end. So there's a difference of opinion as to exactly who the virgins represent, what these different things are, you know, the oil and the lamp and the light and 
all of this stuff. It's all symbolic of things, and uh, we're not going to debate that this morning. Uh, some say the virgins represent Christians that are on the earth at the time of the rapture, and others think that it's two groups of Jews that will be on the earth. And they won't see Jesus till after the tribulation period. So there's a difference there. But uh, like I said, we're not going to debate it. But I can tell you one thing. I believe it's a little bit of both. I believe that uh, one is spiritual and one is natural. We can believe both ways, right? We can believe it's for the Christians and the Jews. So it doesn't make any difference how you want to view it. Bottom line is this. Jesus is teaching us things that are valuable to both of us, the Christians and the Jews. But of all the different truths that this parable conveys, the one central truth that it conveys is talking about being alert, being ready, and being prepared. That's the central thing. Everything, anything that you interpret around this parable as to what it means and what this thing means and what does the oil mean and what does the lamp mean and what does the vessel mean, it all has to revolve around the central truth that he's talking about us being ready, being alert, and being prepared. So let's go on and read this. Matthew 25, 1, it said, Then, when? In the end times. Shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. He's, he's describing the way the end times are in the kingdom right now. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil or no extra oil with them. They just had the oil that was in their lamps. But the wise took oil in their vessels as well as with their lamps. In other words, they had extra oil. Or like we say in the South, extra. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. In other words, they trim them down when they go to bed so don't burn too much uh, fuel or oil. And then when they get up, they trim them up so it will give more light. Well, they, they all got up and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready, say ready. ready. They that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Shut doors represent missed opportunities. And, and it had to be a terrible feeling for them to have that door shut. Now, how many knows when the Lord shuts a door, no man's going to open it. And afterward came also the other virgins, the foolish ones, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. I don't know you. And then he says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And because we don't know the day or the hour, we need to stay ready. Amen. We need to stay alert. We need to stay watchful. Yes. Otherwise, he'll come as a thief in the night to those that ain't watching. And he'll come and go before you know it. So this is the same thing from chapter 24 where he was warning us. He's saying, be prepared, be ready, and watch. And there's a lot of debate over, uh, also over some of these things that uh, they represent. But again, we're not going to debate them today. But I do favor the ten virgins representing Christians and representing the church. Uh, because Jesus said we can't determine the day or the hour of his return. And I believe he's talking about the rapture because the rapture is signless. We don't have anything that points to the rapture, but there's uh, 70 to 100 different signs that point to his second coming. And so uh, if we can determine the, the, 
season of his second coming, we can back up seven years and have an idea of when the rapture is going to come. But that's the only sign that we have concerning the rapture. And so he can't be talking about Christians in the rapture because once the rapture occurs, you'll have a fine timeline according to Daniel's 70th week, uh, the end of the church age, the beginning of the tribulation period, and then you can lay it out year by year, event by event, and you can determine when he's coming back. Yeah. It tells us plainly in the book of Revelation. So I don't think he's talking to the Jews as much as he is a Christian. So I believe they're uh, 10 Christians, but it doesn't hurt, or representative of the church, it doesn't hurt to think that they're Jews. It, it doesn't make any difference. This is good information for all of them. Yeah. But the purpose of the rapture is for the spiritual union or reunion of Jesus Christ with the church, which in scripture is referred to as the bride of Christ. But before we move on, I think we need to knock over a sacred cow this morning. Now, there's no doubt that the bridegroom is Jesus Christ, because there's a clear reference to that, because Jesus himself called himself the bridegroom. And uh, John the Baptist also called him a bridegroom. So there's no doubt about who the bridegroom is. It's Jesus Christ. But it will help us to better understand the parable as well as some other things when we recognize that although Christ is the bridegroom and his union or his relationship with the church as a bride and groom, we have to understand that this is simply a metaphor or an analogy. It's a likening then the kingdom of God shall be likened unto ten virgins. So here's the sacred cow that we need to knock over. According to the Apostle Paul, it's clear that the church is the body of Christ. Body of Christ and church are synonymous terms. They can be used interchangeably. So there's no doubt that Christ also is the head of the body who gave all things to be to him, the head of all things, the church. And so uh, Paul said in Ephesians, so we know that the church is the body of Christ and Christ is the head of the church. So if we think about that for a minute or two, would Christ's head be on the body of a woman or on a bride? I mean, nowadays anything goes, but biblically speaking and according to the word, Christ's head would not be on the body of a female bride. That's just common sense. But here's the thing. In Revelation 21 and 9, it tells us exactly who the bride of Christ is. It says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, this is John talking about what he's seen, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. So there's no doubt here. It is the bride. And it is the bride of the lamb. It is his wife. So there's no, no doubt about what he's going to show us here. And then he said, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. That's the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem. Now the church will be dwelling in the new Jerusalem. But the church is not his bride. So if the ten virgin brides awaiting the groom represent the church, then it's only symbolic. It's only a metaphor. It's only a likening. But I'll tell you this much, it really doesn't make any difference who the five wise or who the five foolish virgins represent. It should be a wake-up call for everybody. So in the parable of the ten virgins, I believe Jesus is definitely addressing two groups of people, whether Christians and Jews or two groups of Christians or two groups of Jews, it doesn't make any difference. But if we're talking about the rapture, he's talking about those who are ready for the rapture and those who are not ready for the rapture. The wise are ready, the foolish are not ready. And since he's talking, since chapter 24, he's talking about being watchful, alert, prepared, and ready. He's still talking. That's still the theme for chapter 25. So this parable is based on the traditional Hebrew wedding in which the groom will pay a dowry 
or pay, uh, I hate to say this, but a down payment for his bride to the bride's father. He'll make a down payment or a dowry as a guarantee to his commitment. Because back in those days, when you were betrothed, it's just as though you were already married. You just haven't had the ceremony yet. But once you're betrothed and you pay the dowry, that is your wife. And uh, you look at Joseph and Mary. He was betrothed to her. Didn't say he was married. He was betrothed to her. But they were just as much husband and wife in the eyes of God as if they had that piece of paper that said they were married. Amen? We're not that dedicated nowadays. But um, for lack of a better word, it's kind of a down payment that he will guarantee that he'll marry the guy's daughter. And there's no refunds if you don't. But then he leaves his bride and he goes to his father's house to prepare a place for the bride to live so that when he returns to fetch her in the future, he'll have a place to take her back to where they can spend the rest of their lives together. That's a traditional Hebrew wedding. So Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe you believe in, in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And again, he's talking about believers. He's talking about the church, but not as his bride. Not his bride, but as a bride. And he'd do the same thing that a groom would do in a traditional Hebrew wedding. So Jesus is at the Father's house right now preparing a place for his church as a bridegroom would prepare for his bride and as uh, at the rapture he'll descend from heaven and he'll catch his bride away, catch his church away metaphorically and take them back to heaven where we will live with him forever. Amen. Now I believe we'll be living in the new Jerusalem. That's going to be our, that's where our mansions are. And you think, well, are they compartments or are they apartments or are they condos? No, they are mannered estates in this new Jerusalem. And I told you before how big it is. We just can't even imagine, you know, 1,500 miles square, 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles that way, this way, this way, 1,500 miles square. And then it has, you know, I don't want to say pyramid, but it's, it it's, has different levels like this, different foundations, and it goes 1,500 miles up. You can't imagine the square footage or the acreage in this place. And I don't know how it's laid out inside, but I think it's like entering into the world or entering into the earth. There's, there's land and there's all kinds of beautiful manner to states and everything all throughout this. I don't know what floor you'll be on. I don't, you won't have to have an elevator though. You just say, absent from here, present there. And boom, there you are. And you'll be in your house or wherever you want to go. And that's how we're going to move throughout the entire earth, you know. You just will where you want to be. And you'll just pop up there. You'll appear there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's going to be a wonderful time. Yeah. But when he comes and fetches his bride, they'll return to his father's house to the place that he's prepared in the new Jerusalem and that's where the church will stay during the tribulation period if if we were his bride we'd be on a seven-year honeymoon a seven-year celebration of the marriage of the lamb that's why I thought we'd be returning to the marriage supper of the lamb and I don't think there's any low calorie sugar-free <laughs> low fat nothing on that table amen yeah. hallelujah but in the traditional Hebrew wedding, the groom returns at an hour and day that his father selects. And nobody else knows the date or the time. And the father would make sure everything was safe and ready for the son to go get his bride. In other words, he would inspect the house or the bridal chamber that his son has prepared. And he'd determine whether or not he's ready to receive his wife. And he'd tell him, go get your wife. And this is, I think, the 
the time segment that we're in right now. I think Jesus is doing the finishing touches on what he's prepared for us. And the father's getting ready to go inspect it and then tell Jesus, go get your bride. Go get the church. Amen. Hallelujah. So the bride doesn't know when this time will be. And that's why she has to remain uh, alert, prepared, and ready for when he comes. And as you can tell, the five foolish weren't ready. They let their lights go out. They let their lamps burn down. And then after his arrival, there's a procession with the bridal party to the place that the groom has prepared for her. So there'll be a procession from here, rapture from here to the place that he's prepared for us. And don't try to figure it out. I mean, this is, we're talking supernatural stuff here. I don't care how he gets us from here to there. He's going to do it and it's going to be supernatural. Amen. Hallelujah. He said, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive will remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, we will spend the rest of eternity with him. And he said to comfort one another with those words. So I don't know how he's going to raise the dead. I don't know how he's going to put life back into him. I don't know how he's going to find people that were cremated and uh, people that were buried at sea and people that were eaten by wild. I don't know how he's going to find all these people. I don't know how he's going to put them back together. He will. It ain't my job to figure it out. All he needs is one little atom. One molecule that you got floating some, uh, somebody that died got floating around this earth somewhere. There's one molecule, one atom somewhere. That's all he needs. And he'll bring you back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Yeah. Well, anyway, in this parable, the bridegroom is all, has arrived, but only five of the virgins were prepared when he arrived. And, and this is really serious because it reveals that no matter who they represent, only half of them are going to be going. And the other half are staying behind. For what? The tribulation period. And you talk about seven years of hell. Well, you won't even make it through the seven years. You'll be martyred or killed or something way before that happens. But it ain't going to be fun any way you look at it. But the ones that are caught off guard and unprepared, they try to get oil from the wise virgins but are refused. And this tells us that you have to make the rapture on your own values, on your own morals, on your own behavior. Nobody can pray you into the rapture. And we're talking about, I believe all 10 of them are believers. All 10 of them are saved. All 10 of them are Christians, but that don't guarantee you a seat in the rapture. It depends on how you're living when he comes. Because he said, if you're not living right and you're not prepared, you'll have your portion with the hypocrites. And a hypocrite to me is somebody who professes to be something like a Christian, but really isn't a Christian. You're going to have your portion with them. So those that are caught off guard, they don't get to go. They're looking for oil. And while they're looking for the oil, the bridegroom catches his bride and takes her to the bridal cha chamber. So proper interpretation of scripture requires interpretation of other scriptures. In other words, scripture is interpreted by scripture in a lot of cases. That's why you can't build a doctrine on one single thing that you find. You can't build a doctrine on unless you have the support of two or three witnesses, and those witnesses are other scriptures. Then you can build a doctrine on it. And so, if you look at Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus dictated seven letters to John uh, to give to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And in these letters, Jesus gives praise and reprimands, but also gives several warnings to those Christians who do not repent. And, and I believe they'll miss the rapture because of that and be left to 
behind for the judgments and the wrath of God to fall upon them. Now, you know, in these four letters, if you study them, you'll notice that Jesus uh, starts out by praising these churches. And then he tells them, however, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. And then he tells them what he has against them or what they're doing wrong. And then he tells them how to correct what they're doing wrong. And then he tells them what will happen if they don't correct it and what will happen if they do correct it correct that they'll be rewarded this is a good way to raise kids praise them a little bit tell them what they're doing right and then tell them however there's this one thing you could do better and if you don't this is what's going to happen but if you do then you'll be rewarded and i'm telling you the kids will be motivated by that but anyway why do some church members make the rapture and some are left behind? According to this, 50% are going to be left behind. That's a pretty big percentage. But what's the difference? What makes five wise and five foolish? And I think Jesus gave us the answer in this church here at Laodicea. In Revelation 3, 14 through 19, he says, Unto the church of the... Uh, unto the angel or the pastor of the church of the Laodiceans write these things saith the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God I know thy works and thou art neither cold nor hot I would thou were cold or hot he'd rather than be cold or hot rather than be lukewarm because lukewarm is a hypocrite right if you're cold I know you ain't in if you're hot I know you're in you know, so, but when you're lukewarm, I don't know if you're in or out. Most times you got, you're straddling the fence. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knoweth not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He's talking about two conditions here, a physical condition. This was a rich church with rich people. But in, in the spirit, they were naked and wretched and blind. And so he's letting them know. And then he says, I counsel thee, I advise thee to buy of me. This is the only place you can get what he's about to talk about is from him. Gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. So you might be rich in body, you might be rich in the natural but you're poor, wretched, and naked in the spirit. I'm telling you how to get your spirit built up and make your spirit rich. He says, buy of me gold or divine things. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And then he said, anoint thine eyes with Isaiah that thou mayest see. So in addition to being uh, wretched and miserable and poor and blind, he's telling them that you need to anoint your eyes so that you can see again. So apparently they got, they were blinded before they, all this other stuff happened to them. That's usually what happens. We're blinded by the devil and we don't see that the things that we're doing wrong. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. This is covenant talk. When you have a meal with uh, somebody like at these times here, it's it's a part of a covenant ceremony. So this is covenant talk. If, if, if you open the door to me, I'll come in and I'll make a covenant with you. He said, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. So he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So what he's saying here is this is for overcomers. If you don't overcome, disregard all of this stuff because it's not for you. Yeah. And so this church at Laodicea has one defining characteristic. They think they're Christians, but in fact they're not. Amen. That's right. And they go to church. Uh -huh. yeah. Come on. It proves that going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Nope. And so like the five... Uh, foolish virgins this church is urged to buy something to help their bad situation 
The five virgins were told to buy oil. That would help their situation. The Laodicean church is told to buy gold from Jesus, representing the fact that we should desire eternal riches over temporary uh, worldly wealth. Yes. So this group of lookalike Christians, they don't have what's necessary to be a part of the true church of Jesus Christ. Right. They're just, it's, they're hypocrites. They're just yes. playing a part. Yes. So the idea described in Revelation is to place a high value on the gospel and desire your relationship with Jesus Christ over any and all worldly treasures and possessions. Amen. In other words, it goes back to putting him first. Yes. Amen. Amen. And here's where the five foolish virgins missed it. They were worldly. They were busy, but they were serving the wrong God. Busy? There's two gods. There's our God and there's mammon yes. or yes. worldly things or yes. possessions or money. Yes. But for both groups, a door is presented, which in scripture is a major symbol of rapture prophecy. Mm. So they both had the opportunity. They both had the same door before them. Right. And Revelation 4.1 says, after this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. For the Lord himself should descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And then the dead shall rise first and we which are alive. So it's talking about rapture here. Mm -hmm. But this voice, this voice that sounded like a trumpet probably was a shofar said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So Revelation 4.1 is the rapture of the church because from this point on, all references to the church are made to them being in heaven, and they're not referenced on the earth again until the end of the tribulation period or the last part of the book when Jesus returns with the church at the battle of Armageddon. So the church isn't here for the tribulation period. We're in heaven. So the five foolish versions are locked out of a door. The Laodicean church is told that Jesus is knocking on their door, waiting to be invited in. In either case, the door is closed, and they're both on the wrong side of it. That's a bad feeling to have a door closed in your face. But look at the difference between them now and the church of Philadelphia who Jesus praised for their faith. In Revelation 3, 9 and 10, he says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. How many knows God knows your works? He knows my works. We, we can't hide anything from him. We're not getting away with anything. He knows all of our works. He says, I set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. And, you know, on the other side of the coin, if he closes the door, no man can open it. That's right. For thou hast a little strength, doesn't take much, just a little, and hath kept my word. That's what gives you the strength. Yes. And hath not denied my name. And because thou hast kept the word of my patience, my uh, iPad has been going goofy here lately. Hallelujah. I usually transfer it over to my iBooks, and it wouldn't transfer. And I wrote this sermon in it, and then when I, you know, it saves automatically when you write the sermon. Well, when I went to bring my sermon back up, it has saved a hundred of that same sermon into my thing and filled up my memory. So in order to get my pad working again, I had to delete a lot of them. And uh, now it's telling me it went to the cloud. <laughs> let it rain, Lord, let it rain. <laughs> so I don't know what's wrong with it. I don't know if it's the iPad or the program I have. But <clears throat> It's got me messed up. All right, let me find my place. Hang in there with me. 
All right. So he's saying, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which is the tribulation period. That's the hour of temptation. Which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So it's going to be a time of testing and trial, mostly for the Jews. They're the whole reason for the tribulation period, but the whole world is going to be affected by it. So these faithful Christians are told that the door is open to them and no man can shut it, indicating that they will escape the end time judgments of God's wrath during the tribulation period. There's all kinds of signs here that show us we won't be here for the for the tribulation. You know, uh, God said it's, it would be the time of Jacob's trouble. That's Israel. It's, it's their trouble. It's their problem. It's not our problem. They're going to be judged during the tribulation period. We've already been judged when we accepted Jesus Christ. So he was judged for us. So we accepted his judgment. So we're not going to be judged again. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So it's a direct reference to the wrath of God being poured out during the tribulation period. And the church will not experience this because we'll be in heaven. So the symbolism of the door being shut indicates that the foolish virgins were left behind with the rest of the unbelieving world that is being judged. So they're not being judged, but they'll be involved in the world's judgment. They'll be involved in Jacob's judgment. Yes. So the five foolish virgins, they missed the bridegroom's arrival because they were out trying to buy oil, which they should have never had to do. Amen. And when they finally arrived at the door to the bridal chamber, they knocked and not only did he not open the door, but he says, I don't even know you. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh, but Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not? I don't know you. So you sure ain't getting in to my wedding. So he knew them not because they're not part of his true church. I believe they were saved. I believe they were Christians. But they weren't part of the true church. So they're living for or ready for him uh, when he came. And so, or they weren't ready for him when he came. So they'll be left behind. The five virgins that were ready, they went on to heaven with them. Mm -hmm. Now let me say this. People claim to know Jesus all the time. Come on. People, the majority of people will claim to be Christians. And there's surveys that show, I don't know what it is anymore. They're more bold now than they were before. But there were surveys not too many years ago uh, uh, by the Barna survey team, which is a Christian organization, and they're, they do accurate survey that 80% of America claim to be Christian. They did a survey and 80% of people claim to be Christians or claim to know Jesus. And so, uh, I mean, you can try it for yourself. Ask somebody, do you know Jesus? They'll tell you, or a vast majority of them will tell you, yep, yep. sure do. Yep. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians, but are not. And they even go to church. Come on. I heard somebody say, I don't remember what it was, who it was, but they said, you're not a witness for what you say, you're a witness for how you live. You're not a witness for, because you say you're a Christian, you're right. a Christian because you live like one. So there's got to be fruits. But here's another sacred cow that needs to be knocked over this morning. Knowing Jesus does not make you a Christian. Amen. Saying a prayer does not make you a Christian. Amen. What makes you a true born again Christian is if Jesus knows you. Yes. Jesus told the five foolish virgins, I know you not. And that was enough to keep them out of heaven. So you should ask yourself this morning, just look straight ahead and smile, does Jesus know me? You know, I was in a large denomination for 38 years, and I realized that I knew of Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus personally. 
And I know he knew me because he knows every he knows everybody, but he has to know you in the sense that you're one of his. Yes. And that's what it's talking about here. And again, this par parable is about spiritual readiness. So I don't care if you're a Christian that meets Jesus in the air at the rapture or you're a Jew who meets him at his second coming. But one thing Jesus consistently continues to preach about, and we've seen it in chapter 24 and chapter 25, is that you need to be alert, prepared, and ready. Because yes. we don't know when he's coming back. And you don't want to be caught not ready. Now, this modern-day culture, I don't know if you realize it or not, but they're selfish, and they live only for today with no regard to the future. And it shows in our finances. It shows in the way that we treat our bodies. It shows certainly in our moral lives that we're just living for today. We're not looking forward to his return. So it's hard for me to tell if you're a Christian here in church because everybody that's here today is on their best behavior. But there is a way to tell. All I have to do is interview one of your close family members. I'll find out if you're a Christian or not. Your wife will tell me if you're a Christian. Some cases, your husband will tell me if you're a Christian. If they don't, I know the kids will. And I don't even have to ask them. They volunteer it. Yes, that's right. Let's pray over our food. Why, we don't pray at home. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yep. Uh, it's prayer time. Anybody got a boo-boo? They all got a boo-boo. Yes. They all got something they want to be prayed for about. Yes. And so uh, we said, well, you need to be prayed for. And they'll come up and they'll tell us. They'll, they'll be looking around, find a scratch or something. Yes. Or they'll have a sincere prayer request. Yes. And then they'll say, I'm glad you prayed for me because mommy and daddy never prayed for me. We don't have to ask. They'll tell us. You know, uh, the Bible says judge not that you be not judged, but that's not what it's really saying. What it's saying is that you are supposed to judge, but you're supposed to judge righteously. Because if you read the rest of it, it's saying, it's talking about judging wrongfully. You used to judge rightfully. In other words, you should be a fruit inspector. If the fruits ain't there, the tree is corrupt. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, one of my greatest concerns for the church and for our country, but we've already gone over the edge there, but is the fact that we've disconnected from ethical and moral behavior that God requires of us. He expects it of us. And we're too too loose when it comes to morals and sin. We think that God has to accept us just the way that we are and we never have to change anything. We think that God has to be tolerant with our sin. No, he wants you to change and stop that sinning. He's not tolerant of us. He's not overlooking our sin. We come to him, we look for grace. Well, grace doesn't get you out of punishment. Grace gets you out of sin. Grace empowers you not to sin. Yes. Don't sin and then look for grace to get you off, get you off the hook. Ooh. That same grace you're looking for to get you off the hook will set you free from yes. sin. Yes. So too many people seem to have lost their moral compass. And a lot of them are in the church. They lost their ability to hear from their conscience. They have no conscience. Their consciences have been hardened or seared like a callus. They can't hear anymore from their conscience, which is trying to direct them uh, in the right paths. And for the Christian, it's we don't hear from the Holy Ghost anymore. Not that he's not speaking. We can't hear him because our, con our consciences have been seared. And we've been given over to a reprobate mind because that's the direction we want to go. In the last days, God said he would send a delusion. What's he saying? He wants to deceive us. He wants to uh, get us in delusion, uh, man, or something. No. What he's saying is, you're leaning that way anyway. I'm just going to give you a push, give you what you want. That's what you want anyway. Go ahead and try it out. I'll be right here when you're done. I was being nice, now I just. 
We need to get our moral compass recalibrated. If you're not living a life of faith and walking in love and exercising the moral absolutes that were outlined in the Bible by, uh, through the word, then you're not going to be ready when he comes. And yes, I said absolutes. I know this world doesn't believe in absolutes. They think that everything has a compromise, but no, God has some absolutes. He's got black and white. He's got light and dark. He's got a lie and he's got the truth. He has some absolutes and there's nothing in between. You're either in sin or you're not. And we just think we could just justify everything that we do. We have a good reason for doing what we're doing. Nope. But not according to the word. That's right. i got to hurry. But it's more than just calling yourself a Christian. It's more than just claiming a name. Uh, you can call yourself a Christian all you want, but if there's no fruits, then you're no more a Christian than I am an astronaut. If I told you I was an astronaut, you'd want to know when I went to space and where's my suit and uh, tell me something about the food up there and how's it feel to be uh, not have any gravity. I, if I didn't have the fruits, I'm not an astronaut. That's right. I couldn't handle the training anyway. <laughs> well, let's put it all in perspective now. Let's see what we need to walk away from this morning. Or with this morning, I think I, I think, and I'm not real smart, but I think the Lord is telling us to be like the five wise virgins. What do you think? Yes. And I believe all ten virgins were Christians because, like I said, they all had lamps and they were all lit. Yes. At least in the beginning. Yes. Come on. And they were all gathered together, just like we are this morning in yes. this place. Yes. Although half of them weren't prepared, half of them weren't ready, but they were all looking for the bridegroom. Yes. When they all slumbered and slept, when they went to sleep that night, they trained their lamps and went to sleep that night, I think they were all sincerely looking for the bridegroom. Yes. So what was the difference between the five wise and the five foolish? Mm -hmm. The five wise had extra oil. Yes. The five foolish did not. Right. So when the bridegroom tarried, and he did, the five wise still had their lamps lit, but the five foolish didn't. They weren't ready. So I don't believe oil here is a type of the Holy Spirit like a lot of Bible scholars claim. And the reason I don't is because the oil in this parable ran out, and they had to go buy some more. And I don't think the Holy Spirit ever runs out. <coughs> And I also know that you can never buy him. Amen. So I don't think it's the Holy Ghost, but what is it? Pastor Ed turned me on to this one minister. And, you know, sometimes you, like I said, you're trying to understand something. Say, Lord, I don't get this. I always thought that oil represented the Holy Spirit. And he does in a lot of places in the Bible. Yes. But he's also represented by fire, by yes. wind, by water, yes. by rivers, by ponds, by wells. So, you know, there's a lot of analogies and stuff, but I couldn't understand why he wouldn't be the Holy Ghost. This oil wouldn't be the Holy Ghost here. And so the Lord sometimes answers you directly. Sometimes he answers you right away. Sometimes he'll show you a scripture. Sometimes he'll have your wife show you something. And so Pastor Red says, listen to this. And she didn't know at the time I was going to be preaching on the ten virgins. And so... Uh, her husband's name is John Arnett. I think she's Carol Arnett. Yes. And uh, they're the ones that have the Toronto revival up yes. in Canada. Been going on for years, this revival. Yes. Thousands of people going in through. They wore out their carpets 10 times already. Yes. And, and they're, they're having this revival in, in there. And she was talking about the 10 virgins. She's talking about the lamps and what they represented and stuff. And here's what she said. She said the oil that was in their lamps is the oil of intimacy. Yes. It's not the Holy Ghost. It's not representative of the Holy Ghost. It's representative of intimacy. Yes. And it makes a lot of sense because it, 
Oil represented spending time with Jesus and having an intimate relationship, which causes you to be alert and prepared and ready and watching for him. So these five wise virgins had intimate relationship with Jesus, and that kept their lamps full. And they had so much intimate relationship with him that they had uh, separate vessels with oil in it. In case the lamp ran out, they could replenish it. The five foolish didn't have an intimate relationship with him. Therefore, their oil ran out. They burned out. They didn't have any light. Mm -hmm. So the five foolish virgins were so busy and actually working for Jesus. Yes. Maybe a church worker. But so busy they didn't make time to spend with him in intimate relationship. That's right. They didn't enter the Holy of Holies every morning. They didn't pray every morning. They didn't meditate on the word with him and commune with him and ask him questions. And so their oil eventually ran out. Now in Luke chapter 10, let me give you an example of this. You don't have to turn there. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is invited to dinner at his friend Lazarus' house. And he had two sisters by the name of Martha and Mary. You know them. So when he arrives, Martha invites him in, but she's busy making preparation for the dinner. While Mary took time to sit down at Jesus' feet and to begin to absorb everything that Jesus was sharing with her and the crowd. So Martha got all twitterbated because Mary wasn't helping her with the preparation. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and come help me. And the Lord answered her. People talk like that to the Lord today. And the Lord answered her and said, why are you upset and troubled? Pulled away by all these many distractions. You know, the devil has many distractions. And he's constantly pulling you away. Why? He wants your lamp to go dry. He wants your light to go out. And that will eventually happen if you don't have intimate relationship with Jesus. So Mary has discovered the one thing most important. And when, uh, and this is Jesus talking, he says, why are you upset, Martha? Why are you troubled and pulled away by all these many distractions? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. When you say most anything, that means there is not anything that's most. That's right. That's right. Uh, You know, when you're sitting on top of most and you look up, nothing is there. Because you're most high. You're most important. You're most this and that. That means there's no most or above that. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, The one thing that's most important by choosing to sit at my feet, that's most important. That's more important than all your worldly distractions and even your distractions in the church, busy helping the church. Don't help the church. If you don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus, I don't want you to pay that price. Uh, Even though you're helping the church, even though you're working on the church and fixing things and and cleaning and all of this. I don't want that if you don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Get that intimate intimate relationship going first, then come help with the church. Thank you, Lord. But that's the least of your distractions. Most of your distractions are at home. Most of your distractions is the busy life that you lead at home. You're yes. so busy, so busy, coming yes. and going, you meet yourself at the door. Yeah. Yes. And for what? How many of those things did God tell you to do? Uh-oh. And then you say, oh, Lord, I just, I don't have time. I'm so tired. I'm, I don't have any energy. The minute I sit down to pray or read a word, I fall asleep. Whose fault is that? That ain't God's fault. You got some messed up priorities. That's right. Amen. 
I know I sound mean right now, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm a little, I'm a little bit concerned with some people in this church. I'm not sure about some people in this church. And there's some people in this church that I find myself praying more for than others. And there's a reason for that. When I'm praying in the morning and I'm meditating and I'm worshiping God and your name keeps coming up, something's wrong. And you can be a Christian and not go in the, in the rapture. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying if you die today, you go to hell. I'm saying that if Jesus came for the church today, you might not go. Because it has nothing to do with who you claim to be. It has nothing to do with the title that you claim of being a Christian. That's right. It has everything to do with the way you're living when he comes. So then he says, you know, the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet, she is undistracted. Amen. She is. And I won't take this Amen. privilege from her. Amen. If you're saying, I got to pray, I got to read the word, I got to go to church, I got to do this, you're messed up. You, it's a privilege. He's saying here, it's a privilege. I get to pray. I get to go to church. I get to read the word. I get to understand what I'm reading. Privilege. But this is a perfect example of the five wise and five foolish jerk of virgins that Mary. Martha was, uh, see, Martha was burning her oil. And she eventually burned it all out because she was so busy and so distracted with temporal Things that have nothing to do with eternity that she finally just burned herself out. Her light was out. That's right. And yet Mary is spending time with Jesus in intimate relationship, having her oil replenished and her light burning brightly. And not only that, but she she was getting extra oil. Extra oil. I'm a closer. You know, maybe we're involved in so many things, both in and outside of the church, that we don't have time to spend with Jesus in intimate relationship. We don't have time to spend with him replenishing our lamp. Right. And not only replenishing our lamp, but getting extra oil in our vessels. Yeah. So that when we do have a rough patch and we're burning we're burning oil like crazy and we we, we get down to where it's almost out. We got a vessel we can pour into. Yes. Yes. But eventually, if you don't get that intimate relationship yes. with Christ, if yes. you don't spend that time yes. with him in prayer and in the work, yes. eventually even your vessels are going to be empty. Yes. And then yes. what? Thank you, Lord. The bridegroom comes and yes. you're left behind. Yes. Yes. See, you know, when our priorities are wrong, we cause Jesus to take a back seat Jesus. when he should be driving. Amen. Amen. He can't he can't be directing you and guiding you and leading you if he's in the back seat. That's right. Because on. your priorities are greater than his. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so he'll let you go. Come on. He'll let you run your course. He'll let you do go wherever you want and do whatever you want. But there's gonna be a consequence. That's right. And he's here this morning. He's always here. He's always with us. He dwells in us. He's in our heart. If you're truly born again, he's in your heart. Yes. So he's always with you. He's here. And, and he's always pouring out. Yes. He's always pouring out. So would it be too much for him to ask that we pour some into him? And you know, he's the first one that made the move in this relationship. Yes, he is. Now, I don't know how you guys are, but I come from an Italian family, Italian background. It's very important who makes the first move. Yes. Especially in a vendetta in an argument, because we have plenty of those. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage to make the first move. Yes. Come on. It takes a lot of courage for you to say, look, man. I missed it. I'm sorry. You were right and I was wrong. Most. 
Italians will die before they do that. So that's very seldom that they would admit that and do that, you know. And, and so that's called the first move. Yeah. You know, I made the first move in this apology. I made the first move in this relationship. And if you said, too bad, I don't care what you, I don't care if you are sorry, well then you can go and walk away. <laughs> that was a nice version. Yeah. <laughs> and you can, you can walk away satisfied and justified. I did my part, that's all that expected of me, you know. But Jesus could have did that with us. That's the whole point of it. He could have did that to us. He made the first move. And we weren't even worthy yes. of his love. We weren't even worthy of the things that he did for us. And that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Yes, he did. Hallelujah. He made the first move. Yes, he did. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we have to spend time with him. Yes. And we have to make time for him. Yes. And we have to keep our lamps full and our lights burning yes. until he comes. And it's all right for you to slumber and sleep. They all slumbered and slept. But when the call came, five of them were ready and five of them weren't. Yes. And the door was open for the five wise, but slammed shut for the five foolish. Yes. And I don't want to see that happen to anybody. Whether I know them or not, I don't want to see that happen to anybody, not even my enemies. Yes. I don't want to see... God slammed a door in their face. Amen. That was like the ark. When Noah's ark, God closed the door on that ark. He did. And when he did, yes. and that rain started coming, you talk about regrets, the screams, the crying, the yes. begging, yes. nothing opened that door. That's right. I don't want to see anybody do that. Amen. I don't want to see anybody knocking and begging and crying and weeping and gnashing teeth yes. for God to open the door that he shut. Hallelujah. He won't open that door. No. So you got to be ready when the door is open. That's your own, only opportunity. You got to be ready then. Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Let's pray. Father, I know you told me to tell your people that you're coming soon. Yes. And I did that, Lord. I told them that you're coming. I told them they need to be watchful and alert and prepared and ready. So it's up to them now, Lord. But God, if the areas where they're weak, I ask you to strengthen them. In the areas where they're lacking wisdom, I ask you to give them wisdom, just like the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the manifestation of it, that you would give them the manifestation of the wisdom they need and the revelation they need and the knowledge they need. And God, these just aren't pretty stories in your Bible. These are true stories. These all have meaning to them. And I think that we brought forth that meaning out, that meaning of this parable out very well today. I know there's a lot of things in there that we overlook, a lot of things in there that can be symbolized and typified and shadowed out and all of these things here. But the main theme is that we be alert, ready, prepared, and watching for you. So God, that's my prayer this morning, that each and every one of us are ready and prepared and alert, and we're watching for you. And when you shout from heaven, the bridegroom cometh, and we hear that trump, God, I want us to be ready for that open door. I want us to go in through that open door and not have it shut in our face. So Father, if there be one in here that's not right this morning, if they know somebody in their family that's not right. And that's everybody in here has somebody in the family that's not right. God, I pray that you speak to their hearts this morning. That you touch them. That you let them feel your goodness. Let them feel your love. Touch them in a special way this morning. I know you don't have to, God, but I'm asking you to do that. Let them feel your goodness in their hearts. We thank you and we praise you. For every good thing that you've done for us, Lord, we thank you for our salvation, our healing, our deliverance, protection, provision. We thank you for all those wonderful things. But Lord, as we look to the future, we want to be ready. And we want to thank you for the open door that you're about to give us. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I hope you learned a lesson this morning. I'm not going to bring you up and pray for you. Everybody in here is a mature Christian, so do your own praying. Do your own repenting. Get right with God on your own. It will, it will work better for you that way. Amen? Don't be coached or coerced by me to do it. Do it on your own. Do it because you feel it in here. Amen? This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.